such a privilege to be able to share with you this morning and finish this uh, series of old-fashioned postures for a brave new world. And our title this morning is Keep Watch. Keep Watch. And what a great summer series it's been. And it's been so good to hear from so many, uh, several other people from the congregation. It's been good to hear some new voices. And uh, just I've, I've learned uh, so much and received so much from uh, this series. But Tim did some, uh, before he went on sabbatical, did a few notes for this series. And uh, for this one, for Keep Watch, he, he wrote this. He says, the graphic novel Watchmen has spawned several movies and inspired millions It is about a dubious bunch of vigilante superheroes, and the central premise is, who watches the Watchmen? And that's a really interesting question, isn't it? Who watches the Watchmen? Who watches out for those who are watching out for everyone else? And um, who, who watches out for you? Who are you watching out for? We all need mentors in life. We all need people who are, who are maybe just a little bit a step ahead of us in order to just help us and coach us and give us some advice. And I know for me, having three daughters, meeting other people that have daughters too, and just listening how they, what they have, uh, you know, just some advice for what it's been like how, um, for, for them as they've seen their daughters grow and build that relationship with them. And it's been helpful to have feedback. And we live in a, in a it, it, we're in part of a, a, an amazing church here at Riverside, aren't we, where we have people from right across the generations and we're so privileged to have people. It's, I find it very easy to walk around and spot people who are, like a, are a step ahead of me in the journey. And I'm able to go and say, hey, can you, can you help me with this? Can you pray with me? Can you support me? Can you give me some advice? And uh, that's the great thing of being church together. And I want to encourage any of you who um, are not yet in community groups or life groups where you can experience some of that and uh, just rub shoulders with other people to... Um, to consider joining one. We've been looking in this series, been looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and um, we're going to focus today on two verses, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 to 21. This is the end of Paul's first letter to Timothy. Uh, Timothy, as we've been reminded previously in this series, Timothy was leading the church in Ephesus, and, uh, which Paul had started and had handed on to Timothy. Tim, obviously, Paul was traveling, and sometimes he was in prison, and he was writing to Timothy to help mentor him, to coach him, to keep him on the, the straight and narrow, and to keep him focused on the, the main things and the, and the key goals. And here, uh, Tim, Paul writes to Timothy in verse 20, and he says, Timothy, guard what is entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. So Timothy, so Paul is writing this to Timothy and he starts off this last part of this letter by calling him by name. By saying, Timothy, it's almost like Paul is... I'm sure if he had a highlighter pen, I'm sure if that existed at this time, that's what he would be doing. He'd be highlighting this bit. And that's what he did. Instead of a highlighter pen, he just uses his name. Timothy, God, what has been entrusted to you. And Paul uses this three times in this letter. He uses Timothy's uh, name. In 1 Timothy, in the very beginning, in 1 Timothy 1-2, 1, 
He says, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now, Timothy isn't, uh, isn't Paul's real son, blood son, but he is his spiritual son. He does see him as the person that he is mentoring and investing in as like a spiritual father. Grace and mercy and peace from God and the Father of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then in 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul also writes, Timothy, again, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Here you can just hear, you can almost sense Paul's heart and, and passion for Timothy cheering him on. Saying, my son, come on, Timothy, don't give up. Keep going, keep running the race, keep, uh, keep focused on the things that I have, have given to you. And here in the last uh, verses of this um, chapter, of this letter, Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. What has been entrusted to Timothy's care? Well, there's the church, there's the church in Ephesus. There's the gospel message that Paul keeps reminding him, don't divert from the message of the gospel because it's the good news that will actually bring salvation. And thirdly, don't, uh, to, 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 to entrust to Timothy's care the things Paul had taught him. Those things that Paul had invested in him all those years that he had been uh, alongside him, encouraging him and helping him. So keep those things, those things that I've entrusted to you, guard them. And, and you know, I, I believe God gives us the same, the same encouragement, the same, uh, the same thing is to guard those things that he has entrusted to us, those things that he's given to us, those promises that we've had. Maybe, maybe you've had words and promises of things that have not yet come to pass. I want to encourage you, guard those things. Guard those things. So two things Paul was asking Timothy to do. God would have been entrusted to him. And secondly, turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. In other words, Timothy, keep watch. Keep watch. Keep alert. Stay awake. Don't, don't, don't have a day where you're not um, focusing on the things that I've um, asked, given to you, and focusing on, on Jesus ultimately. This week, we've just come back from uh, a lovely holiday in the Lake District. I, I love the Lake District and uh, I've fallen in love with it afresh. I've not been for quite a few years, actually. Michelle and I have not been since um, we've had children. I don't think, well, I've been on my own, but not together as a family. And um, we, we went uh, uh, on this canoe, we went canoeing together on the lake, and um, it was quite an experience. We spent the first five minutes just making sure we could go in a straight line. And uh, we had an instructor with us, uh, which was great. And he was teaching us, giving us really good instruction. But um, we, I noticed as, as we um, started to get used to it and started to get a bit more confident, I could see that we were drifting. And we were drifting further and further into the middle of the lake, away from the land. And um, I said to the instructor, I said, oh, it seems like there's, there's a bit of a current or we, you know, we're drifting a bit. And he said, yeah, yeah, it's the wind. He said, it's not strong wind, but he said, a little bit of wind does cause you to drift. And he said, it's important you keep an eye on that. And he said, the only way to stop drifting 
is to keep your focus on a central point, a fixed point. And, uh, and, and so he, he, every time he would say to us, hey, we're going to head for this island over there and that part of it, or we're going to head for those trees over there, or we're going to a fixed point so that we can actually aim towards it. And that was the only way to stop us, keep us from drifting. And, and as, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, isn't life like that so often? I don't know about you, but so often I find myself drifting and, and drifting just with the flow of, of what's happening, what's going on. And actually, we can lose focus of our fixed central point, which needs to be Jesus himself. And we discover more about Jesus, don't we, through the truth of his word and through the Bible, through the scripture. And as we keep watch, we need to be aware of, of, of the dangers around us. Now, okay, we're all on a lake. It wasn't particularly dangerous drifting on a lake, but I guess if I was, we were in the sea, it, it, could, have been, it could have been potentially dangerous. And, and for us, we need to be aware of the dangers around us. And this was what Timothy, what Paul was saying to Timothy, to be aware, to keep watch, keep watch of the dangers that are potentially are around. And the danger that at the time that Paul was highlighting to Timothy was around godless chatter, to turn away from that. I've had the privilege of the last um, nine or so years of working with Open Doors, who work with the persecuted church. And uh, it's just been a, a real privilege and an honor to work alongside persecuted Christians and to visit countries where Christians face high or extreme levels of persecution. I don't know if you're aware, but currently there's 360 million Christians in our world who live in areas where they face high or extreme levels of persecution. And one of the things that um, working alongside our brothers and sisters around the world who share our faith but not our freedom is just that actually what it really means to follow Jesus no matter the cost. And also they highlight for me just the need of actually being aware of what is going on. And, you know, it's a bit more subtle here in, in our country, isn't it? Things are a little bit more, there's not an obvious um, enemy against the church that we're all like, ah, oh, we need to watch out for that. But when in these countries, there really is. There are many churches are being burnt down. Christians are being killed. Things are being destroyed. Christians are not allowed to meet. And yet here, we, we, we're kind of almost lulled into a sense of, false sense of security, that, hey, everything's okay, we're all right. But actually, one of the things that um, working alongside our persecuted family has taught me is, actually, we need to be aware that there is an enemy that is against the church and seeks to destroy the church. Now, I don't think our focus should be on that, but Jesus did talk about the tactics of the enemy did help us understand a little bit of what the enemy does to try and cause us to drift and to take us on tra off track. And one of the things that we've learned um, just with following our, our, and, and supporting and standing with our brothers and sisters is something called, that we've called the six Ds, which just expose a little bit of the tactics that the enemy uses to try and, and, and get us off track, to cause us to drift and um, I just want to go through, just very briefly, those six Ds. And the first one is destroy. In uh, John 10.10, 10, Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But he said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. 
you know, we see the enemy so often trying to... Uh, I'll share a story with you. It's quite a, it's always a bit of a heavy story, but it's something we heard just recently of a lady called Maria in... Um, she's from Iraq, and uh, she was uh, in a Christian camp. She became a Christian, gave her life to Jesus. Her family weren't happy. But she posted on TikTok a few seconds of her singing a worship song. And a couple of days later, unfortunately, she was killed by her brother and uh, her uncle. Now, that's just one isolated story, and it's quite hard to hear those kind of things. But we hear those kind of things on a daily basis at the moment. And uh, what's interesting is it seems to be a lot of young people that we're hearing about. And, and it it's almost seems like the enemy's tactics at the moment is to try and, is to try and distract and, and take out almost a, a generation. In China right now, you're, uh, you're not, it's illegal for anyone under the age of 18 to go to church. So if you're, if you're under 18 and you're here, you wouldn't be allowed here if you were in China. And it's almost like the enemy is, is trying to... Um, by the way, when I use the term enemy, Satan, devil, we're talking about the same, same person, the same thing. But the, he's, I, I wonder whether, and also through lockdown, it's interesting looking at the church here in the UK and how many young people have come back to church after the lockdown and many churches have been struggling. We've been really fortunate here and John and the team are doing a fantastic job and it's been great to hear what's happened over the summer and uh, going away together and just seeing um, people come to know Jesus and grow in their faith and get excited about God. But that's one of the things that we've become aware of at Open Doors and we're really praying into is particularly our, our, our young people. So the first thing the enemy tries to do is destroy. Secondly, second D is disrupt. And uh, he tries to disrupt anything that God is doing. And we hear lots of stories of churches that are seeing great fruit, but then suddenly they're unable to meet for some reason or have to stop, um, have, have to, to, to start meeting um, secretly because they're, they've been, you know, they're, they're, they're not allowed to meet anymore. And the enemy tries to disrupt and stop the church from being the church and doing the things that, uh, that, he wants, that God wants us to do. The third D is distract. And uh, a quote from a persecuted church leader that I heard recently was this, when the enemy can't destroy, he will distract. And he wants to take our attention away from God. Sometimes he uses good things and great causes to take our attention away from what's the most important thing, from keeping our eyes, keeping our attention on God. I know Judy um, talked recently on this about keeping our focus on Jesus, keeping our focus like in the, we experienced in the canoe, having that fixed central point so that we don't drift. I, I know I can easily get distracted. I don't know about you, but when I'm, even when I'm working, I find sometimes a, an email pings in and I'm in the middle of doing something and then oh, I'm so distracted. I want to know what that email is, who it's from, what they're saying. And it's so easy to be distracted. And the enemy knows that and he'll use that as a tactic to try and distract us from doing the things that God has prepared for us. The fourth one is distort. He tries to distort and twist the message. We only have to go back to Genesis 3 uh, and uh, the, when the serpent, in fact, Genesis 3 verse 1 
just as the fall. It talks about now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat, um, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And then it, uh, uh, um, later on it says, verse 4, the serpent says, if you eat from it, you won't die. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the enemy, one of the enemy's tactics is to distort what the message, distort the message of what God has said. Did God really say that? Does he really mean that? That's one of the tactics he uses. The, the fifth D is very similar, and it's deceive. In John 8, 44, Jesus reveals, um, so he refers to the devil as the father of lies. And so often the enemy can, can feed lies into us to make us say, you know, to say that you'll never make it. You're no good. You're too young. You're too old. You're whatever it is that the, the, the lies that he uses to stop us from fully becoming everything that God wants us to be. And the last D, the sixth one, is depress. He tries to make us feel down, defeated, and worthless. But that's not the truth, is it? That's not what God says about us. We are not worthless. We have been created in his image. So those are the six Ds that we've kind of picked up as we've been journeying with our persecuted family around the world, that, he, that we set our tactics that the enemy uses in the persecuted church, but also we see them here as well used um, amongst us. And I just want to, I think it's important sometimes to expose these things so that we can actually be aware of them and, and, and actually recognise, not to focus on them and not to be looking out for, um, for the enemy and all these different things and what he's doing, but so that we can be aware and keep watch, which is what Paul was trying to encourage Timothy to do, to keep watch, stay alert, because there is an enemy that's wanting to trip us up, that's wanting to, to take us off course and, and to cause us to fall away from our faith and our relationship with Jesus, and we need to be aware of that and stay alert. Stay, um, so the six Ds are destroy, disrupt, distract, distort, deceive, depress. And this is why we need to keep watch for ourselves, but also keep watch for each other. And that's why none of us are supposed to be alone in this world. That's why we are family, we are church, because we're able to look out for each other too and keep watch for each other. And this is why Paul is writing to Timothy, telling him to guard what had been entrusted to him. Friends, let's be those who guard the truth of the gospel in our hearts. Let's treasure the truth of what God says about us so that when the enemy does come and try and trip us up, we have the, the truth. Jesus did this, didn't he, when he was tempted in the wilderness, when the devil tried to tempt Jesus. And Jesus' reply to him was, it is written. It is written. He knew the word of God. He knew the truth of the word of God. So he was able to respond in that way. And that's why it's so important, friends, that we, we treasure God's word in our hearts so that when those times come, when those time of testing come, when those trials, when those temptations come into our lives, we're able to say, hang on a minute. It is written. It is written. I just want to share a little story um, with you of, uh, as, as I close. Of, I had the privilege of going to uh, North Africa 
um, before lockdown. And uh, I met uh, a church, or met a church leader, a pastor in this country. Unfortunately, I can't name the country. But um, he was, in, in this country, by the way, there's 30 churches left when I was there. Only 30. The others have all been closed down. And um, I was, had uh, a week with one of those pastors for, of, of one of those 30 churches. And uh, he, was, he was telling me, he said that um, it, to be a Christian in this country means you lose your right to everything. He said you can't get a job, you, you can't buy a house, you, your children can't go to school, uh, you can't see a doctor. Uh, you, you're basically seen as an outcast. Um, you're not allowed in, in the village you're not in, or in the towns, in the cities, that people don't want you in there. And uh, so the Christians have to live on the, in isolation. They really live, well, they live as a community together, but really isolated from the rest of society. And he said it's really hard. And, and, and obviously they want, to, they want to be telling people about the good news of Jesus, and they're not allowed to. They're not unable to. They can't get near them. And, and so he said, it's, he said, we are, he made this comment to me, which I thought, wow, this was astounding. He said, he said every month we have baptisms, adult baptisms, every month. And he said, we're disappointed if there's less than 100 people being baptised every single month. And I said, wow, that's incredible. How, how do you do that if you're not allowed to go and witness? He said, well, we, the only thing we can do is to pray. And he said, we just spend time praying continually, praying that God would reveal himself to people. And he said, one day I had a knock at the door and uh, he said, he opened the door and it was this lady and she had a, had a dream. And in this dream, Jesus had revealed himself to her, told her that he wanted to be a friend. And uh, he, she said, can you explain this to me? And he said, yeah, of course I can. So he invited her in. He explained to her that it, what Jesus had done for her and how he had made it possible for her to have a relationship with, with God the Father and, and how much he, he loved her. And she said, wow, this is incredible. And he said, I, she said, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. And um, she repented of her sin. She gave her life to Jesus. And uh, she, she said to him, I'd have to go back and tell my friends about this. And he said, it's really dangerous to go and do that. She said, yeah, I know, but this is too good to keep to myself. I have to go. And so she went and she told um, her friends. And he said, I didn't hear from her for over two weeks. And he said, I just assumed the worst had happened because it often does. He said, after two weeks, there's another knock at the door. And he opens the door and he's delighted to see this woman. And it's the same woman. And uh, he said, uh, she said, I, I need to come and speak to you. And uh, she, he, he invited her in. They sat down, had a cup of coffee. And she said, I've spoken to every woman in my mosque. And she said, every woman has had exactly the same dream of Jesus. Isn't it incredible what God is, is doing and how he uses a church that is unable to actually go out and witness, but just in that place of prayer and the response is, is remarkable. And what I want to share really about this pastor, his name is Habib. And uh, he said to me that he, 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 just, he finds out, I don't know how, but he discovers when someone in his country has just become a follower of Jesus. And he said the first two weeks are the most dangerous for them. And so he makes it his mission to go and spend some time to go and see them, give them their first Bible, pray with them, break bread together for the first time, all those beautiful things. And he says, sometimes I have to travel 3,000 kilometers across the Sahara Desert 
as he was telling me this, we were driving around in his car, in the, and um, his car, I tell you, would never pass an MOT in our country. Uh, the windows were cracked, you could hardly see through the windscreen, that we had to stop regularly to fill up the water because um, uh, he had a leak in the radiator. I mean, it, it was not in a very fit state. So I said, what, what vehicle do you use to go across the Sahara Desert? Thinking that he must hire a Land Rover or some four-wheel drive or something, and he said, he said, no, no, I'll take this car. I was like, what? He said, yeah, he said, he said, it is dangerous. He said, obviously, you know, there's no AA to come and help me if I break down. He said, I'm stranded and that's it. And there's no phone signal to phone anyone. He said, also, there are, um, there's often these sandstorms. And he said, these sandstorms have, he said, loads of black scorpions in them. And, uh, and I said, I said, well, he said, yes, I have to get out of the car to fill it up with water quite regularly. Also, I have to get out to fill it up with fuel. And I have to get out to relieve myself. I said, so what would happen if one of those black scorpions was to sting you? He said, oh, I said, well, he said, I'll probably be unconscious in you know, a few hours. And, uh, and then maybe after 24 hours or so, I'll be dead without any support or help. I was like, well, so hang on a minute. You're, you're telling me that you're willing to leave this church that's growing really well, to go and encourage one person that you've heard has just become a follower of Jesus. He said, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I thought, wow. He's someone who is keeping watch. And friends, my encouragement to us today is the same as Paul's was to Timothy. Let's keep watch. Let's not give up. Let's not fall asleep. Let's keep focused. Let's keep our focus on Jesus, that central fixed point, so that we don't drift.